You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you guys here today. Excited to jump in as today we close out this series that we're calling Life on the Mountain. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Next Sunday, we start a brand new series entitled Real Friends, and I'm really pumped, excited about that to talk about what it looks like to be a real friend, to have a real friend uh, according to the Gospels. And so uh, I hope that you'll return next week as we dive into that. You know, a few weeks ago, on June the 6th, we were able to celebrate the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Of course, D-Day was in fact when the Allied forces, the U.S., stormed the beaches of France and, and uh, to defeat Hitler and save the world from Nazi Germany. And it was a great time to remember the, the sacrifice and the price uh, that so many uh, paid at that time. And, you know, what's important and, and, and I think equally important is one of the uh, operations that was kind of going on that nobody really knew about, it was called Operation Bodyguard. And uh, Operation Bodyguard was essentially the deception plan that the U.S. and the Allied forces uh, developed in order to confuse and to deceive uh, Germany. And so what what they were were doing is all kinds of various things to deceive them and share lies with them. And so they created this whole army. Uh, It was a fake army, and they gave it a name. They created uniforms and a patch for it. And so uh, people would wear that into uh, occupied areas to try to continue that um, um, just deception. They had fake radio announcements. They had double agents that were living in various places to continue those lies and to deceive uh, the Germany, essentially because they were, they were trying to confuse them on when the invasion was going to happen and where it was going to happen. And my, my, my favorite part about Operation Bodyguard was they actually created these inflatable tanks And so they looked, uh, I mean, almost identical to the real thing. Out of canvas, they blew them up, and uh, you could, like, three, four guys could actually pick them up. And, uh, but from the air, if you were in a plane, you know, and the enemy was flying over, they would look down and they would see this, uh, they would see this tank and they would, in fact, you know, think that, okay, this is where they're building this army. This is where they might attack. So imagine seeing hundreds of tanks, very deceptive plan. And, and uh, you know, what's interesting in, in warfare, deception is an important strategy. It's an import, important part. Um, it keeps the opponent guessing. And if you're guessing, and that means you're not confident. And if you're not confident, there's also some confusion in deception. And, and uh, confusion is never fun, especially when it comes to uh, spiritual things. And never good to be confused spiritually. God is, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, we see God is not a God of confusion. So he makes it clear what it looks like to follow him. And he makes it clear, as we've seen over the last 12 weeks, what it looks like to actually be a follower of Christ, what it looks like to actually receive the gift of salvation. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So the point of the New Testament for us is to give us a hope and to clearly uh, explain to us what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to receive salvation. And so it is written that you and, a, you and I may know that we have eternal life. Now, last week, Jesus was uh, talking about the narrow path and the wide path. 
And he made it clear that if you want to receive salvation, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you must enter through the narrow gate. And so he talked about the narrow gate being more difficult and more demanding. He talked about the narrow gate being himself. There's no other way to God. There's no other way to heaven than through Jesus Christ. And he compared that to the wide gate. And he said the wide gate is, listen, you, you believe whatever you want to believe and do whatever you want to do, and, and, and that's where most people are going to live, and that's, that's the choice that most people in the world are actually going to make. I believe some of you are here today because God is, in fact, inviting you to enter through the narrow gate, and for whatever reasons, today, you're going to see clearly that you, in fact, need to receive the gift of salvation. And we're going to give you the opportunity to make that decision today. And, 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 and as we look at this, we, we know that the enemy wants to do whatever he can to stop you from entering the narrow gate. He doesn't want you to experience the, the hope of the gospel. He doesn't want you to live a life that you know, glorifies God and, and that brings life into your life. He, he wants to do anything he can to keep you from that. And, and so what we're going to read today is, is, is the fact that there are two, at least two people that are going to do whatever they can to keep you from entering the narrow gate. And so as we look at this in, in Matthew chapter 7, we're going to see how, how God is in fact calling us and, and, and in fact what it takes to follow him and in fact that there are two people that are going to try to stop you. So if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 7, we're going to begin in verse 15 where it says this, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So today... We're looking at what it really means to follow Jesus, and my goal today is not to, not to raise you know, doubts in your mind as to whether or not you're saved or not. My goal, my hope, is that you would have clarity and that, that, that God would lead you perhaps to a decision today if, if in fact, uh, you need one and you need to make that. And so the first thing that Jesus says is that there's a group of people that are going to try to deceive you from entering the narrow gate and following Jesus. And that first group of people are people uh, who are false teachers. So false teachers might deceive you. And so this would be a false religious leader, a false teacher of the, you know, uh, in, in, in a church. This could be um, any kind of false prophet. And there are going to be people who say they are speaking on behalf of God, but in fact, they are not. So Jesus calls them false teachers. He, he's calling them false preachers. And, and this could be famous people, famous people that you, you might respect. You might see them on TV. You might podcast them. They might be uh, famous for writing books. And he says, I want you to be very careful who you're going to listen to. Very careful what you're going to allow your family to hear, who you're going to sit under when you're coming to church. He says they are wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, they look innocent enough. 
But in fact, they're deceiving you. Maybe they're doing it intentionally, or maybe they actually believe what they're saying, but what they are saying is a false gospel. They're a ravenous wolf, and he's saying that it's going to do damage to your spiritual life. And so these are people who say they follow Jesus. They say they claim to be followers of Christ. They claim authority in the scriptures, and yet they are teaching a false gospel. Now, the nation of Israel was very familiar with false prophets, and so God spoke to them often about this. And God says this in the book of Deuteronomy, verse, or chapter 13. God says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Let's just pause. So here's the situation. There's a person who does something miraculous or they do something very emotional and everybody sees this and, and they're impressed by it. We're impressed very easily in our culture. And, and, and so they, they experience something supernatural or they have a really cool story or, or you know, they're very emotional and very, people are very drawn to them for whatever reasons. And so God is saying, okay, there's going to be some people. They're going to give a sign. They're going to give a wonder. And you're, you're going to be tempted to get sucked into whatever it is they did or said or experienced because it looked really cool or it felt awesome. But he says this, here's when you know, and this is what a false teacher will do. It'll be emotional, it'll feel good, and then when you're feeling good, the, the, the false teaching is slid in. He says the sign and wonder comes to pass, but then he'll say, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. God is telling us when that is happening, don't even listen. Stop podcasting. Stop watching them on TV. Stop reading their books. And so the warning is, is, is not to, you know, just kind of take them with a grain of salt. No, the warning is not to listen to them. And in fact, God is, is also telling us that in those cases, he's testing us. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to see if my people are going to fall for this junk. I'm, I'm watching to see if they're this naive. I'm watching to see if, in fact, they're going to fall for these lies. He continues, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Listen, God has given us his, his word. The scriptures that we value and we believe with all of our heart um, are infallible. It is the authority that God has given to his people to live by, to walk by. And when people preach something that is, that, that, that is contrary to the word of God, he says, run, dismiss, don't listen, continue to serve me, continue to fear me, continue to follow me. Even if everyone else says it's okay, but I'm saying it's not okay, listen, you've got to follow and trust me. In Romans chapter 16, Paul tells us, he says, brothers, watch out. Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. So there it is again. Stay away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. He's saying, look, these people will cause divisions in the church. So whether they're on the platform, you know, they're the leader of the church or they're, they're a leader 
in, <clears throat> excuse me, in a denomination or, or you know, they're famous because they've written books or they, they travel and speak or maybe they're a small group leader or maybe they're just somebody in the church in the hallways that have influence. And he says, listen, they're, they're going to they're gonna attempt to cause divisions. They're going to create obstacles that are going to keep you from following Jesus and, and they're going to be an obstacle into trusting him. And so it's going to be, here's the gospel, follow Jesus, but you also have to do this and you have to say this and you have to dress like this and and you can't do this. And, and so they're adding to the gospel. He says they're going to create obstacles, right? He says they're going to, their attempt is to deceive you. Now, I know what you think when you read this verse. You read it, and you're, you're tense, and you're like, oh, man, I'm on it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. i got to be weary. And then I read the last sentence. They're going to de- uh, deceive the minds of naive people. And we go, cool, because I'm not naive, <laughs> Right? Don't you do that, or is that just me? Like, I'm not naive, so I'm good. No, he's talking to you and I. Why? Because we are very easily fooled. You get somebody on stage who tells a really good story and gets the feels going, right, and emotionally you're drawn in, right, and then you, you know, then all of a sudden, boom, like before you know it, they're, they're teaching things that are contrary to the word of God, and your heart is connected to this person, and, and now then you start to doubt, and now you're saying, well, maybe he is right. Well, maybe that's not what it means, you know? He says, be very careful. Here's another passage Jesus tells us in Matthew 24. He's talking about the end times, and he says, see that no one leads you astray. Don't let anybody lead you astray from the words that I've given to you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. For false teachers, verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs. So there's going to be some great signs taking place. There's going to be some great talks and great sermons and, and, and some things that look miraculous. He says there's going to be signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So he's saying there's going to be a group of people that will be led astray, right? And then he says, if possible, even the elect. So essentially, God elects us to salvation. Now, that means that he is choosing, but it also means that we are responsible for our decision. And so he is choosing, and we are responding, right? And when we experience that salvation, we cannot lose that salvation. God doesn't save us and then, and then take it away. That's not, that's not how a sovereign God Works, But what he is saying is those who are truly committed, those who are truly followers of Christ, they're, they're going to be tempted to be led astray, but they won't be. So there's confidence that, hey, we're, we're, well, as a true believer, we're, we're not going to stray. But there is a group of people that will, right? And so he says, do not let anyone lead you astray. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it talks about deceitful spirits. It talks about uh, doctrines of demons, you see, essentially anything that is taught that is contrary to the word of God essentially is a doctrine uh, from Satan himself. It's a doctrine from demons, essentially. And so we've got to be diligent in our understanding of God's word. We don't take this lightly. So we want to engage it. We want to dive into it. We want to experience it. We want to, we want to know it. So as I teach, like, hey, I encourage you, make sure it's in the book. Right? Our elders here at, at FC, like one of their major roles is to guard the doctrine of our church. And so if they, they hear someone teaching something that is anything contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see in the New Testament, 
then it's part of their role to say, whoa, 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 whoa. And I welcome that. Like we need that check and balance in our churches. And so we want to pay attention to what religious leaders are saying. Uh, We want to pay attention to even what they don't say, right? So it's not just what people say that's on TV or books that are written, podcasts that you're listening to. It's not just what they say. It's in fact also what they do not say. Do they agree with the Bible in matters of sin? Or are they making you know, light of sin and because our culture is now saying that some sins are okay, that now, okay, well, I don't think that's really what God meant here and so I think it's okay. Like if, like if what God says is wrong, if someone is saying is, is, is okay, then that should be an alarm for you. That should be a red flag for you. Do they talk about the reality of hell? We follow people, you listen to people. I I get it, it feels good to listen to people that speak that make you feel good, right? And you're gonna be okay, God loves you, he's got a plan, it's gonna be wonderful, and you're a great person, you're a great one. Believe in yourself, you know? Feels good, it's like, oh man, I do need to believe in myself. But if the person never talks about the reality of hell, you should pump the brakes, Because there are preachers who don't want to talk about things that are clearly taught in Scripture because it makes people feel uncomfortable. And they don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. But listen, if we're going to to teach and preach the whole gospel, we we have to go from the Garden of Eden to the glorification of Jesus returning from Christ. And we cannot neglect anything in between. If someone is, is, is calling you to follow Jesus and they have not taught the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, then it is not the gospel. We, we need to know and understand that Jesus died. Why? Because sin is real. Sin has consequences. He was buried. And we don't stop there. If, if Jesus is in the tomb, then we don't have any hope. No, he rose from the grave on the third day, giving us victory, giving us power over sin, and giving us the hope of heaven. That is the gospel. And if we neglect any part of that, If someone's not mentioning that, then we need to be alarmed. We need to pump the brakes. Red flags should go off. They just want to tell you how much God loves you, that he's got a plan for you. Never talks about repenting from sin, right? We hear this a lot. God loves, God loves, God loves. And they don't talk about when sin is in your life, you repent and turn from that sin. No, it's almost like God loves you no matter what you're struggling with. No, he Yes, but he's calling us to a life of holiness. And it's through repentance that we experience more depth in our relationship with Jesus and more victory in our life. And so this is, this is again, something that needs to uh, sound some alarms in our mind uh, because there are many, many guys, many ladies teaching on TV, writing books, very popular, that are, are, are saying some things that are, contrary to scripture, and they intentionally leave out things that are in the scripture, and Jesus would call us to stay clear. Jesus calls them wolves. Why would he call them a wolf? Essentially because wolves are dangerous. They look one way, and yet their motivation is harmful. Uh, We see this in a lot of different world religions. We call them cults. They take a little bit of Christianity Jesus is a good guy, God created the world, and then they add a whole slew of other uh, teaching and doctrine. We, you have the 
the Mormon um, cult that you know, has, has done that and kind of married what uh, Joseph Smith teaches along with some of the scripture. And, and uh, you've got so many bizarre false teachings. You've got the Je- Jehovah's Witnesses that have done the same. They, they have uh, essentially written their own Bible and taken out every reference to the deity of Jesus along with so many other things. You think back, if you're old enough, to uh, a pastor named Jim Jones back in the 70s. Uh, bizarre, bizarre story, but really happened. This charismatic preacher grows his church, and uh, you know, long story short, they end up moving into Central America, and he leads them all to commit a mass suicide, almost a thousand people, over 300 of them children. And you think, my goodness, how in the world does that happen? What's the saddest thing about that story to me is that those people died thinking they were serving God. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna get to a point in my life where I'm like, I'm too smart or I'm too good to like fall for anything. Like I wanna stay humble and I wanna essentially stay close to the word of God. So how do we know? How do we know if we are being led astray and how do we know, how do we keep in check with some of these uh, leaders and speakers in our culture? And he essentially tells us to look at their fruit. Look at their fruit, look at their life. What's happening? What's the fruit around their life? You know, our mind goes to people like Jim Jones and, you know, some of these other world religions. But we also have to remember that the wolves in God's church today aren't just people on the stage. They are small group leaders. They are deacons. They are, you know, leaders in the community that attend. And they are potentially in our midst. So how do you know? Well, we reference the scripture. We, we, we realize they create division. Are they creating division? Are they spreading rumors and gossiping about somebody? And if they gossip and spread rumors, that essentially might cause you to lose faith in a leader or, or to lose faith in, in, in one of the, you know, someone in, in the church. And, and now there's a division, right? And then that person usually doesn't go and talk to them to try to clear it up or to ask them about the rumor. They just simply believe the rumor. And then what do you have? You've got division in the church. People leave the church. Look at this person's fruit. Um, you see in the wake of their life a lot of hurt people. You see a hurt family. You see hurt um, individuals in the church. Look at that. Look, who are they hurting? Who have they hurt in the wake of their so-called you know, journey or in, in the wake of their so-called you know, religious right? And this is what I think is right. And how are they hurting people in the midst of that? See, wolves can be very charismatic. They can have a lot of followers and friends. But you've got to look at their fruit. Recognize their fruit. Examine to see if what they're teaching is actually from the word of God. Examine that what they are doing is actually following God's word because I can guarantee rumors and gossip is contrary to God's word. And if they're, they're not, then, then we, have to, we have to pump the brakes and we have to say, I'm not listening to that person any longer. So my hope is that you would recognize some, some fruit in your life. My hope is that you'll, you'll see some of the fruit even in our church to encourage you and, and then also some warning signs maybe in some other areas, people that you're listening to or people that you have allowed into your home. Like we need to recognize this. We need to be diligent as we fight against this because the first person who will try to deceive you are false teachers. Now, who is the second person? Who else does Jesus talk about? Look at it here in the scripture. I'll put it here on the screen. You might deceive yourself. So there are false teachers that might deceive you. And then there's also some self-deception 
that might be happening in the room. Let's read the next few verses here. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Probably one of the scariest passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament. I want you to lean in for a moment because I think there might be some folks in the room who are, <clears throat> excuse me, who are deceiving themselves. And my prayer is not that, that you would, you know, just create a lot of self-doubt in your life. But my, my prayer is that it would lead you to clarity in your life. A Gallup poll says that 52% of Americans say they are born-again Christians. 52%. That's over half of us. And Jesus says actually the exact opposite. He said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and, and narrow is the gate that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we know that that statistic just cannot be true. We know that there is self-deception happening in our country. Listen, it's one thing to be deceived by a, a, a false teacher. It's another thing to be, be deceived by your own self. Now, there will come a day when a group of people will expect the door to be open, but it will be shut. They will expect heaven, but they will receive hell. And so Jesus is warning us to, to look at our own fruit, to examine our own fruit. And he tells us in verse 21, only the one who does the will of my Father. That's the examination that we need to do. Look at your salvation experience. Look at your spiritual life today. Are you doing the will of the Father? Look at your life. Can you easily look at your life and see the fruit of your salvation? Can you easily explain that moment when, when you pass from death to life, where, where you said yes to Jesus and where your life was transformed? See, I, I think there are a lot of people who are expecting to be in heaven because they went to church or they prayed a prayer, they told a pastor they wanted to follow Jesus or maybe even were baptized or maybe because they said they believe in God. They expect heaven because of that. And one day they will stand before Jesus and he will say, depart from me for I never knew you. Of course, he knows all of us. He's talking about knowing us on a level, knowing us as a child of God. Listen, there is a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus today, where you can be able to think of that moment when God saved you. Now, I know there are people that are probably thinking, well, you know, I don't know the exact day, but I can tell you the experience, and that's, that's great. I'm not saying you got to know a day and you got to know the time, but there there is a need to know when that moment took place. Because, see, I think there's a lot of people in churches today, especially in the South, who, man, they just have gone to church or they prayed a prayer at some point. They say they believe in Jesus and they just think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm good. And yet there was no change in their life. There's no real commitment to Jesus. There's, there's no following of Jesus. 
It's just like, a, a, okay, I did that. I prayed, I got in the water, so I'm good. And, and Jesus is gonna tell that group of people, depart from me, for I never knew you. The folks that are going to enter through the narrow gate are those who have committed their life and those who are living the life through the narrow gate. I know this because I experienced it. When I was seven years old, I walked down the aisle. My dad was the pastor. I took his hand. I told him I wanted to be saved. He led me in a prayer. I was baptized. I look back on that situation. I don't really remember much at all other than the fact that my best friend just two weeks earlier did that very same thing. And I thought all the attention he got and everything that he did was cool. And I kind of followed him into whatever he did anyway. And I felt like, why not that? And so I started to live my life from that point, and nothing changed. Like, I, I wasn't like a hardcore sinner at seven. Like, I wasn't like caught up in the dope game or anything. But, um, you know, look back on that moment, going into middle school, going into high school, and, and there, was no, there was no, like, fruit in my life that God really saved me. There was no fruit that, that I had been changed. I cared nothing about Scripture. I cared nothing about following God. And then God gave me another moment when I was 16, and in, in, in that moment, I look back on, and at the invitation of that service, I, I felt a conviction that I had, I had never felt before. I had an, uh, just an uneasiness and a restlessness, and I, was, I just remember just like emotionally, I was in tears, and, and uh, I just knew. And so I was fighting this decision in my life, and, and, and thankfully, I, that night, I, I gave my life to Christ. And, and so that, that is the moment. I was baptized after that. That is the moment that I feel like God... Uh, truly saved me. And, you know, I didn't live a perfect life after that. And that's not the, what we want to get into. Like, oh, well, I was sinned and now I got to get saved again. No, you don't. You only get saved once. I was dealing with sin, though. That was the difference. I, I had a conviction of sin. So when I was experiencing sinfulness in my life, there was a conviction and heaviness in my sin and, and on my heart and my life. And that's the difference. We call it the great exchange, and we try to explain it this way, that you are not born a Christian just because you live in America or just because you went to church or just because you prayed some prayer. You were born a sinner. You were born an enemy of God, and you are on your way to hell until and if there is a moment where you confess that you're a sinner you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and you are living as evidence of that salvation. You are living a life that is following Jesus. They call it the great exchange because I was dead and the spirit of God comes into my life and regenerates my spirit. Jesus calls it a new birth. I, I, I am totally reborn. And from that moment forward, I am different. I am changed and now my life is, is directed in following Jesus. Now my life is, 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 is living with a conviction of sin when there is sin in my life. And, and my heart and my purpose is to now glorify him and live for him. And so I ask, have you done that? Have you crossed the, from, 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 the, from, from the dead man to the, to the new, alive man? You see, Jesus is clear but sometimes there's confusion. Now listen, some people doubt their salvation and they think, well, you know, this isn't a good thing and I just wanna know. And sometimes, you know, God might bring some self-doubt so that you would go to his word and you would ask people out to coffee and talk about it. 
and you would have conversations about it. And you would say, this is what I'm struggling with and this is what I'm dealing with and what does God's word say and how do I... Like that, that is the journey that God is calling us to. Like I think every single follower of Christ has probably had that self-doubt. Like we don't believe 100% with, with, you know, no doubt whatsoever. That would be impossible. We're not perfect beings. That's going to be there. But how do we flesh that out and deal with that? And I think Jesus' point here is, look, have you given your life to Jesus? And are you now living for him? If you are not doing that, whatever you did in your past was just a statement you just got wet, you know, if you got baptized, because there was no change. Only the one who is doing the will of my Father. So, we think about this. Who, who or what could give us some insights as to if we truly have done this? We want to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourself. Examine your salvation to see if you are in the faith, it says. And so, are you living in disobedience today? It's a fair question because if you are living in disobedience and you are not convicted of that and you are not trying to change out of that, then that would be fruit in your life that potentially is telling you that you don't really have the gift of Jesus Christ. It's impossible to just to live in disobedience and, and, and see, okay, this is wrong. This is what the word of God says, but I don't care. I don't think that would bring any evidence whatsoever that your life has been changed by Jesus. Some of you have a superficial faith, superficial Christianity, and it's so prevalent in our culture in the South. People come to church, or they went to church with grandma, they went forward one day, felt like they you know, got saved, and, and so now they just get to go to college and live like a moron and, and just live their life however they want to live. Like, wait a minute, if that's, if that's what's happening, then you never had the salvation and the change. If that conviction isn't there, then it, it wasn't a reality. And so some of us are deceiving ourselves because of a cultural, pray this prayer. The prayer doesn't save you. And look, can we stop saying, invite Jesus into my heart? That's not a biblical concept. Please don't tell your kids that. That's very confusing and weird. He doesn't come into my heart. Like, he's actually, what does that mean? Like, no, have you confessed your sin and decided to live for him? Like, that's... Have you turned from your sin? Uh, people talk about being rededicated. Well, you know, I was crazy in college and I came to Foothills and I rededicated. Rededication is not in the Bible. It's a terrible term. Stop using it. What you did is you repented. Use biblical words. No, you recognized that you were a sinner and so you repented of that sin. For some of you, you actually did get saved in that moment. I can't tell you how many people we've talked to and counseled who live their life thinking they were saved and then kind of get to this moment and then they realize, oh man, like this experience was my salvation moment. Like, yeah. When was that for you? When did that change for you, right? That's what the scripture is calling us to. Jesus would call us to examine our salvation. Some people have an intellectual deception going on. Because, man, they love the word, and they study, and they read, and they study, 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 but they don't apply anything. They learn for learning's sake, and so they have a, a great head knowledge of who Jesus is, a great head knowledge of the Bible, but they aren't actually applying it to their life. We hear it all the time, so we come back to it. Have we confessed to God 
that we're a sinner. We repented. And did that moment change your life? How do you prevent this deception? How in the world are we going to be able to prevent this deception in our life? If you've got your Bibles, here's what he says. I'll break it down in this word or this phrase. Jesus is telling us to build your life on the rock and center your life on the rock. So essentially to overcome the deceptions that are all around us, then we are building our life on this rock, the rock of Jesus. We are are centering our life on this rock. In other words, everything we do is built on this foundation. He says this in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell and a, and a great fall, and great was the fall of it. Jesus is saying you've got to build your house You've got to build your life on the rock. And that is a journey. You ever built a house? You ever built your own house or maybe remodeled? We built this building. I've built, I've built houses. I've remodeled. And I can tell you that it's very difficult. It's hard work to build, right? Some contractors in the room, you know this. Uh, it's difficult. You've got a plan, but that plan oftentimes has to be changed. You've got to make a million decisions. And it costs more usually than what you thought it was going to cost. A lot of changes throughout the course of the process. And, 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 and essentially, that's what it's like building your life on the gospel, right? Building your life on the gospel, on the rock of Jesus, is not just a prayer that you pray. It's a lifestyle of, of facing adversity, leaning into God's grace and power, and following and trusting him in your life, and, and lifting him up, and worshiping him, and pursuing him. Jesus says, if you do these words of mine, in this next verse, if you do these words of mine, What words of mine? Sermon on the Mount. Everything that we've been looking at for the last 12 weeks. If you do these these words of mine, then you will be a wise man. You will be building your life on the gospel, the foundation of his truth. And and he says, a storm is going to come. And I know oftentimes we look at this verse and we think, okay, well, the storm is the storm of life. And when difficult things happen, you know, I'm going to be, you know, my foundation, foundation is Jesus. And so, you know, I'm going to survive the storm. But that's not just what he's talking about. You can, you can apply it that way. But he's talking about the narrow gate. He's talking about the wide gate. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the final judgment. And in the final judgment, that final storm of judgment will face every single person in this room. And he's saying if your life was built on the rock of Jesus Christ, then when you face the judgment of God, you're going to be able to see and know and trust that Jesus took your place. But if your faith and trust and hope is not in Jesus, he's saying that final storm of judgment will ultimately destroy you. Here's the bottom line. The wise man hears and applies And the foolish man hears and denies. Which one are you? You're the wise man that hears the words of Jesus and applies it to your life because application is what we're talking about. Not just learning stuff. It's living this stuff. Or are you the foolish man 
who hears and denies. See, what Jesus did for us, we call it the gospel, is that as a sinner, God could not allow me to go to heaven because God cannot allow sin into heaven. So our relationship was destroyed. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life and he died on the cross to take your place. Essentially, his death was the payment that God accepted for your sin and for my sin. Jesus got what we deserved so that we could get heaven, so that we could get forgiveness. And it's through his death on the cross that paid for our sins, being buried in the ground three days later, raising from the grave. He defeats sin. He conquers death, giving us the hope and the power to overcome sin in our life, to have our relationship with God restored, to live life to the fullest, and to have the hope of heaven. For some of you, you've heard it before, but the Spirit of God working in this room is telling you something that you've never done, which is say yes to Jesus and truly follow him. In this moment, I want to invite you to make that decision. Let's lay down all the self-deception. Let's lay down all the when I was five and when I was six and when I was whatever. Who are you today? What, what is your heart today. And most importantly, what's the Spirit of God telling you right now? See, I think the worst thing we could do for our kids is talk them into believing that they're saved. Oh, honey, you're saved. I saw you shake the pastor's hand and you got baptized. No, you're good. That's like the worst thing to tell somebody because it's not your job to convince somebody that they're saved. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Only, only the Holy Spirit of God can convince you of that. I don't, I don't want to convince anybody that they're going to heaven today apart from giving your life to Jesus. That's it. After that, it's between you and the Lord. So in this moment, in the quietness of this moment, I want to invite you to bow your heads. and I want to invite those in the room who would say, you know what? God is speaking to me. God is doing something in my heart. And I believe that in this moment today that I need to give my life to Jesus. How many of you all across this room would just say, you know what, Trent? I think that's me today. If you believe that is you, would you just slip up your hand so I can just see real quickly around the room? I see you. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand. I see you, man, in the back. Fantastic young lady. I see you, sir, to my left. Up in the stadium seats, I see you. Ma'am, I see you. Hands all over. You raised your hand today. I want to encourage you to take a step today that, that, listen, this prayer is not magical, but it is a helpful declaration moment for you that says, this is what I am doing. God, I am giving you my life. And I believe God in these moments truly saves people. So if this is you, just simply pray this to God with all of your heart. Just say, God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose from the grave. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me right now. 
from this day forward, I commit my life to you. As everyone just continues to pray, if you prayed that prayer, I just want to encourage you to look up here at me right now. Can I just see you for just a moment? I see you, ma'am. I see you. Praise God. Listen, don't be, don't be bashful, ma'am. Praise God. I see that. Anybody else over here? About in the, in the stadium seats up there. Am I, am I looking at you? You two guys looking at me? Praise God. That's amazing. It's amazing. Young man, praise God. About in the center here. Any, anybody looking at me that I can't? I'm looking. Praise God. I see you guys up there. But to my left, anybody over here? I'm looking. Sir, you guys, you pray today? It's awesome, man. It's so awesome. Ma'am, that is so amazing. That's incredible. Anybody up in the seats? I see you, sir. Way up there. Praise God. Listen, keep, keep, looking, and keep, keep looking at me. What I want to ask you guys to do is something that I think is helpful. One of the reasons why so many people doubt is, is they just kind of make private decisions and they don't do anything with it, right? And, and so what we're here to do is we, we want to help you. And so we want to encourage you. We want to we wanna be able to just walk beside you so that from this day forward, there won't be any more questions. Like, we can, we can help you do this, right? And so just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. And uh, when everybody stands up, we're going to sing a song. And I just want to encourage you to, to walk out of the row where you're sitting. And back over here is Pastor Landon. You can look at him, and he's waving his hand. Just walk with him. He's going to take you to some volunteers. They're going to high-five you and encourage you. Can you do that for me? I think it'll be, I think it's a huge step, man. I think it's a huge step if you do that. Ma'am, can you, can you do that? It's amazing. Lord, you saw every single hand. You know hearts in the room. I pray, God, that you, in fact, would, would take this moment and use it for your glory. I pray, God, that walls are breaking down right now. I pray, God, that that the enemy is being defeated in lives all across this room and that Jesus is being lifted high in, in, in this place and in hearts all over this room. Jesus, may you strengthen their walk. May you give them confidence. Put a new step in their spirit, God. Give them strength today. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, church, can we praise God for many decisions this morning? You guys will leave the lights up, please, and let's all stand. And as we stand to sing, if you made a decision this morning, would you please walk in that direction? Pastor Landon is going to help you guys out today. I praise God for these decisions. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.